3: everybody. Welcome to the Main Street Vegan Show. And for those of you who are listening live today, happy World Vegetarian Day. It only happens once a year, and that is October 1st. So if you are vegetarian or vegan, celebrate your pride. And if you're not, maybe you want to consider eating vegetarian or vegan today on October 1st. And, you know, it's kind of the way we all eat some Irish soda bread and some boiled cabbage on St. Patrick's Day, whether we're Irish or not. So you can join the celebration uh, with us. It's a very happy day for vegetarians because we keep growing year after year. And I really learned that in the past week when I was in London for VegFest UK. Oh, my gosh. This was the biggest VegFest fest in terms at least of number of vendors that I have ever attended, and I've been to some really big veg fests, it was absolutely splendid, and it really, really showed me that we are an international movement. I was saying to everybody, oh, the movement is just so huge here in the UK, and they were saying, wait till you go to Germany. (laughs) I guess in Berlin there's a vegan supermarket or a couple of them and all kinds of great things going on around the world. And I also learned... That lots and lots and lots of you are listening to this podcast in the UK. And I guess I always knew intellectually that this is internet radio, so we go everywhere. But to really meet you guys and have you say that you listen every week was just so humbling and amazing and fabulous. And I just love you guys to pieces and thank you so, so much for listening. And we try to give you something good every week worth listening for. I commit to you that I want to live up to that. That necessity to make this a really wonderful hour of your week. So as you know, through the month of December, we are giving away a membership in the American Vegan Society and a subscription to American Vegan Magazine to the first caller at 888-558-6489. And if you call right now in the front part of our program, you will be able to speak with The cheese goddess, Miyoko Shinner. Our appetizer guest today is artisan vegan cheese author Miyoko Shinner. After the break, we're going to be bringing on cardiologist Dr. Robert Ostfeld. But right now, we will be bringing on Miyoko. She is, in addition to being an author, a TV show host. You've seen her on Vegan Mashup. She is an entrepreneur, and we're going to find out all about Miyoko's kitchen. Incredible vegan cheese is just hitting the marketplace, and her goal in life is to bring vegan cheese to the world to get people off of dairy and save those animals. Welcome, Miyoko.
1: Hello, Victoria. Thanks for having me on your show.
3: I'm thrilled to have you on. I have been getting little bites of your cheese here and there There was a a party for uh, Joshua Catcher. He was launching his Brave Gentleman Men's Clothing Uh line for the fall. So there were wonderful Miyoko's Kitchen cheeses there. So tell us all about the business.
1: Well, you know, I guess you've been tasting the appetizers, but we're going to send you a whole entree. So I'm going to send you a whole box of goodies soon, and you can just uh, have appetizer, uh, entree, and dessert all in one. But we just launched... Our e-commerce business, Miyoko's Kitchen, you can go to www.miyokoskitchen.com and see nine flavors or different styles of cheese. Now, all of our cheeses are cultured, and many of them are aged. We built a state-of-the-art aging room that uh, can age up to 12,000 pounds of vegan cheese. And it's really fun because if you visit our facility, you can. there's a big picture window that lets you look into the aging room and you can just see all these racks of cheese aging. So it's actually quite gorgeous and it smells terrific in there. Now, we do have an e-commerce business that we just launched and um, we started with a bang. The the weekend that we launched, we just got hundreds of orders. They just started pouring in. So we were just thrilled at the response. But we are also starting to reach out into the retail sector, getting into stores um, through distributors. And um, we will be having pallets of product going out to a couple of different distributors starting later in October and November. So they'll eventually start filtering into stores um, uh, regionally across the country.
3: This is so exciting. Yeah. So what took so long? I spent over 20 years as a vegan before good vegan cheese started happening.
1: Well, you know, I, I guess most people didn't think it was possible. And, you know, many of us have been playing around with it for years. You know, I, I had a restaurant in San Francisco oh, 20 years ago, and, and I served vegan cheese, uh, cheesy dishes, and, and sort of ve- sort of slightly fermented vegan cheese products there, too. But they were very rudimentary. And it just, you know, it was, it's just one of those things where, I think there's sort of a universal movement, you know, a universal consciousness, um, where people start thinking about the same thing right around the same time. Um, and I know I wrote, you know, I wrote the book, Artisan Vegan Cheese, um, about three years ago, I believe, and um, and that, you know, that really, really took off, um, but and I think that also gave a lot of people the idea, hey, you know, maybe this is, some, uh, f- this is viable. And everyone started kind of playing around sort of around the same time, I feel. So I think there's this sort of universal consciousness that's been developing about the possibilities with uh, fermenting and culturing and aging um, plant-based cheeses. And, and this yeah, is the time.
3: That is so interesting. Jung talked about the collective unconscious <laughs>
1: when people started yeah. Uh, yeah. getting
3: the same inspiration. Who mm-hmm. knew you could eat it? This is, Well, this is uh, very-
1: that's right. You can you can uh, what is it? Have your cheese and eat it too. Oh, that's it.
3: Oh. Yum yum. So, yeah. what what's what makes cheese? What what what's just tell us some rudimentary basics of what cheese is and how it can be vegan.
1: Well, cheese is basically uh, fermented milk that's been coagulated, so the proteins. Um, are separate, The curds are separated from the whey. Um, so, you know, Little Miss Muffet sat on her tuffet eating her curds and whey, well, the curds were the cheese, and the whey is what you run off. And you can essentially do the same thing by coagulating um, or uh, plant-based proteins as well. They act a little bit differently, but you basically um, take a plant-based material, a uh, combination of proteins, fats, and starches, and you ferment them, And then you can age them much like dairy cheeses. So it's a similar process using different ingredients and sort of tweaking the technique slightly.
3: Well, yours is sensational. I'm talking with Miyoko Shinner, author of Artisan Vegan Cheese and the creator of Miyoko's Kitchen, and that's M I Y O K O. And you can find her wonderful cheese at miyoko'skitchen.com right now and hopefully soon at a store near you. So, Miyoko, why do we love cheese so much?
1: It's addicting. In many different ways so there's a there 's a sensory addiction because it 's so fatty and rich and it has this umami and it has this sort of satisfying component because of all of those things that are in it. you know um, lettuce you know salad is great and it's very it, but it's it doesn 't fill you in the same way that cheese does uh, with its fattiness and its richness, but there 's also a biological addiction to cheese in the form of um, casomorphine, which is an opiate um, that results when casein breaks down, which is the milk protein. So, you know, it's, it is a, an addictive substance that's actually in all-mammalian um, milk, and it's there, this opiate is there to serve a very good purpose, which is to calm down infants. But most mammals don't consume milk beyond infancy. We're the only species that does, and, it's, and we consume that of another species. So if you can make a cheese that has the sensory qualities of dairy cheese without the biological addiction, then I think it's just a, a, a recipe that, that for success.
3: Well, it's certainly a recipe for deliciousness. And, and you're right. It, it almost still has the addictive quality in that it's so good, <laughs> but it, yes. it doesn't yeah. have this, this actual chemical addictiveness so that you really can't stop and save some for tomorrow. That's
1: right. That's right. Tell (laughs) us about some
3: of the types of cheeses that Miyoko's Kitchen is offering.
1: Okay. Well, you know, this is really, really funny. But in California, the, the CDFA, the California Department of Food and Agriculture, won't let us call our product cheese. So we have to call it a cultured nut product, which is kind of humorous, and we've made this whole thing about it. And we can't call our cheeses cheddar and brie and so on. So we've had to come up with all these creative names. So we have several hard cheeses. One of them is called sharp uh, o, uh, aged English sharp farmhouse. Now, what does that e- evoke? Sounds like mind? sharp cheddar to me. That's exactly right. So we have another one called aged English smoked farmhouse, and then we have one called High Sierra rustic alpine, um, and then we have a, tru- a winter truffle, br- uh, winter truffle, is, uh, yes, and double cream chive and double cream sun-dried tomato. Then we have a really fancy one where we've taken a cheese that's sort of like a fresh chef, and we've wrapped it in a wine-cured fig leaf, and that's called Fresh Loire Valley in a Fig Leaf. Ooh. So what I've tried to do is borrow many of these artisanal techniques like wrapping cheeses in fig leaves, brining, aging, um, using ash, which uh, alkalizes the cheese and brings out a certain sweetness, Um by reducing, um, by increasing the alkalinity. So these are all these techniques that I've been researching for the last several years that I've applied to these vegan ingredients. Um, And that sort of gives you a range. So we've got a whole range of flavors and textures and styles from soft and creamy to hard and sharp and tangy.
3: Yum. Well, now we can say that the vegan food groups are fruits, vegetables, vegetables, whole grains, legumes, nuts and seeds, and cheese. Yum, yum. Thank you, Miyoko. This (laughs) is such a short little visit with you today, but do mark your calendars. Miyoko is coming back as our full show guest on February 15th, so just after Valentine's Day, you can just sit with a little chocolate and some Miyoko's cheese and just um, listen to her for a really long time. So thank you so very much. The book is Artisan Vegan Cheese. The website is Miyoko'sKitchen.com. Order yourself some yummies and all the best. Great success to you, Miyoko. And we'll talk in February. Thank you so
1: much, Victoria. Great all chatting with you.
3: Bye. Okay, bye Everybody stay with us. We'll be back with Dr. Robert Ostfeld right after this.
2: Wouldn't you like to share the programs that inspire you most with audiences around the world? That's easier than ever with mobile giving. Just text Unity Radio to 72727 and help us continue offering spiritual programs that change lives. What if you could experience vibrant health? Help heal the planet.
3: Welcome back to the Main Street Vegan Show. I'm your host, Victoria Moran, and it is my pleasure to be introducing you to someone that I admire so much and somebody I like so much, and that is Dr. Robert Ostfeld. Robert Ostfeld, MD, MSC, is a cardiologist and the founder and director of the Cardiac Wellness Program at Montefiore that's in the Bronx, and an associate professor of clinical medicine at the Albert Einstein College of Medicine. He has a B.A. from the University of Pennsylvania, graduating summa cum laude and Phi Beta Kappa, but don't worry, you'll be able to understand him because he speaks really well to all of us. His M.D. is from Yale University Medical School. His Master's of Science in Epidemiology is from the Harvard School of Public Health. He completed his medical internship and residency at the Massachusetts General Hospital and his cardiology fellowship in preventive medicine at Brigham and Women's Hospital, both teaching hospitals of the Harvard Medical School. Are are those enough credentials? I think so. And he stops in at Main Street Vegan Academy and teaches a class for us. So we are incredibly honored. And I'm just so happy to be introducing you to somebody who wants to put cardiologists out of business, hey, Dr. Ostfeld.
4: Hi, well, thank you so much for that very generous introduction. And it would be wonderful if uh, we could put cardiologists, including myself, out of business. And and I I just love the work that you're doing, helping people embrace both a healthier and more ethical lifestyle. It's just fantastic.
3: Well, we need to do it, and thank goodness we are working on so many fronts. I just love the idea that there are people that are cooking their way into this and lecturing their way and coaching, and you are there in really the battlefield when people come to you with the results of the standard American diet and you actually have a way to fix it, which 25 years ago we didn't even believe was possible. So... How did you originally become the kind of doctor you are today?
4: Well um, so I guess the story starts when I was kind of young. Uh, When I was seven I had a a little brother die from an incurable disease and uh, he was three at the time and ever since then I've been moving in the direction of, of health and, and prevention and one thing led to another um, and <clears throat> I became a cardiologist. And, you know, I trained at pretty mainstream places, but I, I didn't really learn about uh, the impact of a plant-based diet during my training. Um, and But when I finished up, uh, my, my family's in the New York area, so I came back closer to home uh, and I got to work at a I work now at a wonderful hospital uh, called Montefiore here in the Bronx with an incredible social mission, and they really take it to heart. It's just phenomenal to see. And I started doing all the things I was trained to do, guideline-based medications and you know, maybe a Mediterranean-style diet. And although perhaps we slowed the pace of disease a little bit, it didn't seem like people were getting a heck of a lot better. And I was honestly getting really disillusioned. I'm like, what am I doing? Um, and it was right around that time, that a friend introduced me to the China Study, the book, The China Study, by both Drs. Campbell, which is an amazing book, and it dives into the impact, uh, the health impact of a plant-based diet, and it really, really resonated with me, and, and I got to learn more about the area, and one thing led to another, and um, I got to start our cardiac wellness program here at Montefiore, and, and I've been a cardiologist, practicing cardiologist now for about 11 years, And outside of an emergency situation, like say someone needs emergency surgery, I've never seen anything come close to the breadth and depth of benefit that living this way provides. Um, It's uh, amazing to see what happens with my patients, and it's totally rejuvenated me as a physician.
3: That is so exciting. And how interesting the word that you use because this way of living rejuvenates the people who do it. And you're saying that practicing medicine in this way has rejuvenated you as a physician. That's pretty cool. Oh, so what?
4: Yeah, well, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry.
3: No, that's all right. So what was the story of getting Montefiore to be willing to do this cardiac wellness program? So tell us first exactly what it is, because there aren't many of these. I mean, I know Dr. Esselstyn has a program at the Cleveland Clinic. Dr. Ornish has something uh, out in Northern California. But there just aren't a lot of places where somebody can go and get this sort of approach.
4: Yeah, you know, it's, it's really quite unfortunate. Um, but that is indeed the case. And I have patients who will come and see me who tell me they've been looking for a program like ours for more than five years. And, you know, I work in New York City. There are a lot of people around here, so it's kind of um, unfortunate that there aren't um, other, many more similar programs throughout the country. But so um, after getting to learn uh, more about the benefits of living this way, I approached my chief, uh, Dr. Mario Garcia, who's just an amazing guy, um, and told him what I wanted to do. I said I wanted to start a cardiac wellness program, and he said, go for it. And uh, I'm really lucky that I work in a place that that values this kind of thing because, you know, uh, frankly, it's not uh, particularly remunerative for the hospital. Yet they saw the uh, benefits of it uh, from, you know, the patient's perspective, and they they very much encouraged me uh, to run with it, and uh, I've you know have never looked back. And they've um, stood behind it 110, percent which has been amazing, and which which reminds me of you know there's so many incredible patient stories. Um, actually, before I get to that, a little bit about what our program is is that a patient will come and see me. I'll see them one time, uh, or I'll see them in the office, and we'll go through. Uh, all their medical history, and we'll talk through their uh, medical conditions, what their interests and goals may be, and we'll talk about how, you know, a whole food plant-based diet uh, may help them with those. And then after that, we have a four to five hour session on periodic Saturday mornings where uh, we go through this in much more detail. uh, Because there's even just in in an hour-long visit or a 40-minute long visit, there's just not enough time to get into everything in the kind of breadth and depth of detail that's, that's really necessary. So we spend the four or five hours, and uh, I speak for a while about why living this way is, is helpful for you. There's a nutritionist I work with, Lauren Graf, and she speaks about practically Im- incorporating this kind of lifestyle into your day-to-day. We have a patient who speaks about uh, their journey uh, doing this and the kinds of improvements they've seen. We serve a whole food plant-based lunch, have some handouts, and that's about it. And one thing I'm particularly proud of is we're able to offer these Saturday morning sessions at no charge to patients. Um, I'm not reimbursed for it. And we fund it all uh, through tax-deductible donations. Uh, so that's been something I've been very um, excited and, and, uh, and proud about. And then the thing that I'm just most excited about are the kind of turnarounds that patients have, um, a couple come to mind uh, right now. This one lady, I saw her, she, she was, uh, I guess, in her late 60s and, uh, and these patients have said uh, many times that it's fine for me to mention these, these stories. Um, she was in her late 60s and she had had a heart attack, that's when part of the heart muscle dies from cholesterol blockage and, this, and she was taken care of at another hospital. And uh, she was put on all the appropriate medications, but she decided, and actually they, they recommended uh, um, bypass surgery for her. Uh, but she uh, decided that she did not want uh, bypass surgery. And, of course, at the end of the day, the patient is the boss, so she didn't have it and she didn't have any procedures done on her heart. Um, so, but she decided she wanted to be healthier, so she somehow found us and she came to see us. And at the time, she could pretty much only walk about a half a block, and she would have to stop because of shortness of breath, because of all the cholesterol blockages in her heart. And she was already on all the appropriate medications. So we flipped her lifestyle around. She was eating, you know, a quote-unquote healthy Western diet, and we switched her to a whole food plant-based diet, which as most of your listeners know is tons and tons of vegetables, fruits, whole grains, beans, um, Lentils, we're okay with uh, raw walnuts and avocado, salads um, with, of course, no oil, um, avoiding the junk food, and, of course, no animal products, including no dairy. Um, and as, as your listeners well know, there are many, many wonderful uh, books from Engine to Diet, Prevent and Reverse Heart Disease, The Forks Over Knives Plan, that have many, many great recipes um, along those lines and so we flipped around her lifestyle and then fast forward about four months her LDL fell and that's the bad cholesterol another 70 points and she was walking for about 30 to 40 minutes on a treadmill went from about half a block to 30 to 40 minutes on a treadmill and but then something strange happened I was talking to her on the phone and it just didn't seem like she was getting better anymore it seemed like she was getting a little worse I didn't quite understand. She'd had such incredible turnaround with changing her diet. And then a few weeks later, I get a call from yet another hospital, and she had chest pain, and she was about to have bypass surgery. And I I just didn't quite know what was going on. So um, I later found out, and it turns out there was a big rift in her family. Half of the family thought the whole food plant-based diet was great, and the other half of the family thought it was the opposite of great. And during the four months when she was getting better, she was living with a half of the family who thought the whole food plant-based diet was great, and she was eating that way. But then after those four months, she moved to live with the other half of the family, went back to her typical eating habits, and decompensated in a matter of weeks. Um, and I thought that she's just an incredible um, example of the, the power, both of the power of this diet, both Uh, in the degree of health benefits it provides and the rapidity uh, with which it makes these kinds of symptomatic changes.
3: That is just so sad. And I see even when people change their diet just to be a little bit healthier or because they want to save the animals or whatever reason it is, when they revert back to the status quo They might say, oh, it's because I had a craving for something or I didn't feel quite right. But usually when you look underneath that, you find out it's some kind of relationship thing. It's the family or the romantic partner or somebody is standing in the way. And I just think we have to get the word out there. Even if you don't want to do this, please don't stop somebody else from doing it.
4: Yeah, I mean, I totally agree, and and in our wellness sessions on Saturday morning, we ask all the patients to bring a friend, a significant other, someone who can partner with them to help them along this path, because especially in the beginning, like any change, it can be a little difficult, Um, so it takes some work, especially in the beginning, to fully jump on the wagon, Uh, and I I totally hear you, and and, um, unfortunately, there are all kinds of hurdles out there, whether it be societal or advertising or You know, you name it. Um, But, uh, yeah, any way that we can move that needle is great.
3: Well, we're still a a very small percentage of the population, but certainly for somebody with advanced heart disease, I, I just can't imagine why somebody would want to do something different. So I remember hearing, I think Dr. Ornish was the first one who talked about that people say that eating this way is extreme, but it's not nearly as extreme as having your chest sawed open. So what is bypass surgery? I mean, we hear about it and we just hear it like any other kind of surgery. Oh, you know, somebody had an appendectomy and somebody had a knee replacement and somebody had open heart surgery. What is it?
4: Yeah, seriously, if only the surgery and the recovery itself was as quick as the four seconds it takes to say, you know, Mr. X had bypass surgery. Bypass surgery is a big deal. Um, It is not a walk in the park, it is major league surgery, and it is typically, assuming everything goes smoothly, typically a few months before you're really fully back on your feet. You may be out of the hospital in a few days or a week, but it can take a while before you're really back on your feet. Now, of course, it's a good thing that we can do it if we have to. Um, But the real thing is to try to prevent it. And what bypass surgery is, is if someone has, there are three main blood vessels that feed the heart with blood. And on average, if someone has major league cholesterol blockages in many of those blood vessels, we may think that doing surgery to quote-unquote bypass the uh, the blocked artery may be helpful. And so what happens is, you know, the patient goes in the operating room, they put him to sleep with general anesthesia, and they literally take a saw, and they saw open the chest. Um, and then usually they will they put someone on a heart-lung uh, machine, which takes over the function of the heart pumping blood to the body, and then they will stop, literally stop your heart. Your heart will no longer be beating. Uh, And then they will take um, an artery from the chest wall and some veins from the leg, and they will literally um, stitch it into the aorta, the main blood vessel coming off the heart, and back into a blood vessel on the heart, bypassing a blockage. It's kind of like making a detour. If there's a traffic jam in the heart, uh, there's a detour around it. Instead of taking the George Washington Bridge, they'll take the Lincoln Tunnel. So... Um, and then they, they suture you back up, um, and then they whisk you off to uh, the recovery room so that you know you can um, recover. Uh, so that's that's what bypass surgery is, and it's it's not a it's not a trivial um, not a trivial procedure, and it doesn't. It certainly people can feel better after it, and uh, you can have a very much improved quality of life, in some cases, uh, improved quantity of life. Um, But it doesn't fix the underlying cause of the disease, which is usually the toxic Western diet, and of course, please don't smoke. Um, And just to discuss the breadth of it, there are probably about 500,000, 400,000 bypass surgeries that are done in the U.S. every year. Um, And along the lines of heart disease, it is, of course, the number one killer of adult men and adult women. Um, in the U.S., and uh, women are about six times more likely to die from heart and blood vessel disease than they are from breast cancer. Now, clearly, you don't want either one, uh, but it highlights the epidemiologic importance of heart disease, and backing up, um, there is data that about two out of every three 12 to 14-year-olds in the U.S. has very early signs of cholesterol disease in their heart, Um, So this is a disease that starts when we're very young and takes kind of the turbo engine bodies that we were born with and turns them into clunkers. But the good news is that you can turn back the clock. Um, And one kind of awesome thing that I've been finding as I've spent more time in this plant-based world is that eating this way, a whole food plant-based diet is of course good for you for so many reasons it's not just the heart, it's not just your diabetes, it's not just your high blood pressure, it's not just your cholesterol. It can be cancer, it can be osteoporosis, it can be your skin, it can reduce stroke. Um, And so the myriad of benefits is awesome and it's kind of like a quote-unquote magic bullet. Now, I'm exaggerating a little bit, uh, but uh, it's the closest thing that I've ever seen that we've got.
3: Well, if I weren't already convinced, you would have convinced me. If you have a question for Dr. Osfeld, please give a call, 888-558-6489, and you'll also get that subscription to American Vegan Magazine. So we will be back after this next group of uh, important messages from Unity Online Radio. And I have a little message just before we do that, and that is you mentioned the word goals, Dr. Osfeld, when you were speaking, and that reminded me that this week, this week of October 1, 2014, the blog post at MainStreetVegan.net, that's MainStreetVegan.net slash blog, is called Self-Improvement by Setting Goals. It's by a wonderful young man named Matt Korski, who is a vegan lifestyle coach and educator. He's also a personal trainer. He's an athlete and he teaches phys ed on Long Island and he's going to help us to set some goals. Good idea, huh? One goal might be moving a little bit more in the plant-based direction. Aren't you thinking so? If not yet, after the breaks, I bet you will. Stay with us.
0: We are all on the journey together, making sense of this life, finding our spirituality, growing and evolving. As we travel through this world, Unity Magazine is your resource for gaining a deeper understanding of life. Unity Magazine is on the forefront of spiritual discovery, with articles and features from leading authors, teachers, and philosophers. Stimulate your thinking and strengthen your spirituality with Unity Magazine. Sample a free trial issue or subscribe today at unitymagazine.org. Only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world.
2: Thank you for tuning in for Main Street Vegan. Here is your host, Victoria Moran.
3: Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Main Street Vegan Show. I am having such a good time here with Dr. Robert Ostfeld, super-duper cardiologist up there at Montefiore Medical Center in Bronx, New York. So if you are in the New York City area and you know anybody who is dealing with heart disease, please... uh, send them up there to Montefiore and get them to talk to Dr. Osfeld. It just might be the difference between a long, wonderful life and something not so great. Now, because you are in the Bronx, which has a lot of, of working-class people and a, a lot of people that are not high-income who don't you know go off to all the fancy clinics for this kind of workup and that kind of workup, uh, powerful thing that somebody just wrote up in a big newspaper so is it more likely that somebody who's of a lower income is going to end up with coronary disease or is it just across the board?
4: Well it's so common uh, that getting coronary disease uh, does not discriminate by income it is across the board it is the uh, you know next great epidemic if it is a great epidemic, but there certainly is an association uh, with a lower socioeconomic status and worse disease and you know higher socioeconomic status and and fewer diseases like diabetes and high cholesterol and, you know that's a multifactorial thing um, but certainly people who um, have lower incomes uh, do unfortunately bear a larger burden of this epidemic um, and you know the reasons for that, I, I'm certainly not wise enough to know all of them, um, but there may be some cultural issues, there may be access to food issues, there may be access to uh, safe areas to walk around, um, there may be uh, less exposure to uh, educational materials in regard to healthier lifestyle. So it is indeed a multifactorial thing, and uh, we—the majority of our, our patients are, you know, from the Bronx. And we see people from, frankly, all over the world, and from, you know, at least locally here, Manhattan, Brooklyn, Staten Island, the whole, the whole Queens, the whole area. Um, but uh, I would say the majority of our patients are from the Bronx, um, and a lot of patients who, a lot of people who live here are, are from the Dominican Republic or Puerto Rico. Um, and when I get to see them, uh, oftentimes patients will typically come to see me for one of two reasons. One is that there's their doctor or they just have a general cardiology question. Maybe they have chest pain. Maybe they have high blood pressure, something they want a cardiologist to weigh in on and just randomly happen to come to me, Um, or they may come to me specifically for a wellness program. And uh, when patients come for a garden variety cardiology question, a lot of the patients I've found uh, living here in the Bronx, when I start to bring up a plant-based diet, you know, will look at me like I have, you know, six heads. Um, they, uh, there's not been much penetration, um, at least in my experience in this uh, locale, about the impact of a plant-based diet. And a lot of the patients who live here who come to see me, you know, they haven't seen the wonderful movie Forks Over Knives. They haven't read all the books. They haven't had a chance, as you were saying, to go to... One of the many wonderful programs across the U.S. helping people embrace this lifestyle. Um, so it's you know it might have, for, for many of them it frankly might as well be from Mars. Uh, so I start to talk about it with them, and it takes it takes a little while. And um, uh, you know I've ha- I had a couple patients kind of give me the Heisman, basically meaning say no 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 for a couple years, and then for whatever reason, you know decide to turn it around, uh, and they've had just amazing amazing turnarounds. In fact, one of them was literally crying tears of joy uh, in my office just a couple weeks ago um, because of just the incredible benefits that that she's seen and how much better she feels. Uh, So there are unique hurdles um, in all kinds of, you know, different populations based on, you know, what they're used to eating culturally and what they may or may not have exposure to. And when the patients come to me, you know, having really no exposure to it, it is a steeper climb, um, but it's a climb that I'm really excited to take um, because it's people that, you know, well, it will help anybody, but it's people who, you know, maybe really at the far end of the spectrum in terms of healthy lifestyle, and for us to be able to give them that kind of turnaround, it's just so incredibly gratifying. Um, so, uh, indeed, there is a, an impact of socioeconomic status, although heart disease is so common, uh, it, it does not discriminate.
3: Eating this way can be very inexpensive. That's one of the arguments you sometimes get. Oh, I can't afford all that stuff. Or they confuse it. I don't know if you run into this with your patients, but so often people will say, oh, oh, so you're gluten-free, or oh, so you only eat organic food. And, you know, I try to say, well, I like to eat organic food, but I don't only eat organic food. And then, of course, you get the chemist saying, all food is organic, you know? So... It is a little bit confusing without the education, and it's so cool that you do that one-on-one education, and then have the the wonderful Saturday programs with people. So you're doing something else that's really cute. Instead of a cat scan, you have come up with the kale scan radiation-free. What is that?
4: Indeed. Oh, thank you for asking. So I've just started uh, mentioning something. And, and actually, before I, before I get to that, I, just, I totally want to reinforce your point. You definitely can eat this whole food, plant-based way inexpensively. Brown rice, frozen vegetables, some hot sauce, that's an awesome dinner, and that's not expensive. Lots of great um, options uh, out there to, uh, to eat this way. Um, and, but this kale scan so we're all familiar with the CAT scan. You go under the CAT scan and they scale your body or you scan your body. But I started to think about it one day, I'm like, "Wow, you know there's so many benefits. Maybe we should start talking about a kale scan of, of scanning the body of things that a whole food plant-based diet has been associated with helping. So it's a little bit visual, but what I do is I just start with my hand at the top of my head, and I just run it down my body as I go from top to bottom. So I'll I'll try to do it for you for you here. So yeah, give us a tail
3: scan.
4: <laughs> yes, exactly. so these are some of the things that a healthy diet has been associated uh, with with helping. Uh, so we've all seen, uh, or many of us have seen, the ALS bucket challenge, the ice bucket challenge, making the rounds on Facebook and other social media. Well, uh, a plant based diet has been associated with less ALS less depression, less stroke. And if you live this way earlier in life, associated with a decline in mental function in midlife well before dementia has hit, Um, improved skin complexion, less acne. And in fact, um, acne has been so associated with the Western diet that some people are saying, it's not just a a vestige of teenage angst, but it's actually your body screaming out for help when you're eating a toxic Western diet. There's improved skin complexion, um, fewer ear infections, less periodontal disease, less acid reflux, less laryngeal cancer, less lung disease, less lung cancer, less breast cancer, less heart disease, less obesity, nearly 69 or 70% of the US is either overweight or obese. And the, surgeon, the former Surgeon General has come out and said that this upcoming generation may actually be the first in our history to live fewer years on average than the one before it. And that's felt to be largely because of the impact of obesity which stems largely from how we eat. So less obesity, less high blood pressure. Now, if you're a 55-year-old adult in the U.S., your lifetime risk of developing high blood pressure is about 90%. That's from the Framingham Heart Study. And every time I read that stat, it blows my mind, and I have to reread it. But but that's the average person in the U.S. When you eat a whole-food, plant-based diet, it can, by improving the health of your blood vessels, Um, lower your blood pressure, lower cholesterol, less diabetes. And if you are born today, your lifetime risk of developing diabetes is one in three, one in three people. But if you're Hispanic, which a lot of our patients here are, that risk is now one in two. That's crazy. We have to make some serious changes. Um, So less diabetes, less inflammation, less colon cancer, less constipation, improved sexual function for both men and women. And in terms of, for men, in terms of erectile function, um, but erectile dysfunction uh, is um, what we often call a canary in the coal mine for heart disease. Because getting an erection, it's a neurologic event, it's a psychological event, but it's also a vascular event. Um, And so, By the time you have, and the the artery to the penis is smaller than the artery to the heart, and so by the time you have a blockage in the artery to the penis, causing poor blood flow, you very likely have already have a blockage in the heart that just hasn't clinically manifest yet. So we call it the canary in the coal mine. Uh, There's improved athletic performance, and there uh, is um, less arthritis and less osteoporosis. So that's my kale scan of things that a whole-food, plant-based diet has been associated um, with helping.
3: Well, I certainly hope you put that in your book that you're working on as a graph or chart because that is one of the most powerful explanations that I have ever heard for the health benefits of eating this way.
4: Oh, well, well thank you. And, you know, one, one thing that um, I found useful is... Now, I saw this randomly one day on George Washington University Medical Center website that we have about 60,000 miles of blood vessels in our body, 60,000 miles of blood vessels. And just for perspective, the circumference of the earth is about 24,000 miles. So it's no wonder that if we eat healthfully and bathe our blood vessels in healthy nutrients, that we will be treating every square millimeter of our bodies well.
3: So this is the big question. Why are so few of your colleagues, not just in cardiology, I know the cardiologists are getting it. Every time I've ever met a cardiologist, regardless of what they eat themselves, when I tell them I'm a vegan, they say, I wish I could get all my patients to do that. But... The other guys, <laughs> your, your more far-flung colleagues, are recommending so many other things. And right now, the big deal seems to be back again, cycling in the high-protein, uh, low-carb. Uh, what do we do?
4: It really saddens me. And it saddens me. And just separately, I, I believe that a low-carb, high-animal-protein diet is a mistake for your health. That, that's what I believe, and I believe there's data to back that up. Um, but so what do we do? It's, it's a great question. I think it stems from many things. One is that a lot of docs who teach uh, our students and residents don't really know about it, and we're not exposed to it. I wasn't exposed to it at all in my medical training, and I, I got the chance to train with some really, really amazing people. Um, and uh, so there's a lack of education about it. Another issue is, quite frankly, ease. It's a lot easier to write a script for a cholesterol-lowering medication than it is to counsel a patient uh, for 30 minutes about a lifestyle change. Um, and uh, you know, unfortunately, there are reimbursement issues um, because you know, personally, I am. Um, it is not good for my. I guess, you know, reimbursement, the extra time that I spend uh, counseling a patient. But to me, it's 150% worth it, and I always want to do it, and I will keep doing it. Um, But, you know, if if I saw, I don't know, 10 more patients uh, in a day and wrote more of these prescriptions as opposed to spending the time counseling, that's more remunerative for a hospital system. Uh, So there are uh, financial forces at play uh, that impact things. Uh, But fortunately, some of that's changing now. You know, with the Affordable Care Act, Obamacare, um, there are some accountable care organizations where, um, I'm not an expert in this, but my understanding is that, you know, for a given person, you say you may get $10 to take care of them for the year. And that's it. And whether you spend $6 or $106, you get $10 to to care for that person. So you're going to be highly, highly incentivized from a fiscal standpoint to um, you know, reduce the cost of their care, and so prevention uh, is a big part of that. So there are uh, financial forces at play, there's education at play, and I think docs are sometimes very appropriately you know highly skeptical, um, and so it may take a while to kind of turn that Titanic. Uh, but I think with ongoing education um, and with all the things that we've been seeing happening now, we're starting to really hit a wave, um, and uh, I'm finding more and more uh, docs are, you know, open to this or learning about this. So I'm super optimistic that um, you know we uh, we're going to see some more changes. But we have a lot of work to do.
3: Well, we do. And I think people have to really want to do this. And I think if somebody is very, very sick, if they're looking at one of those awful bypass surgeries, then they have motivation. And sometimes people have other motivations for other aspects of this with animal rights or the environment. But I think without some kind of major, major motivation, the first time something goes wrong, I was uh, telling you about someone that I know who tried to do this, but you know doesn't really cook and ate out a lot, and evidently has a hard time digesting beans and ended up in the hospital with with a a problem because of, of eating beans. Now, I don't know what else was going on, but to me, if I had a problem from eating beans, I would figure out how to do this without beans. So just final question. We've got two minutes left. How do you inspire somebody to stick with it even if you run into a little roadblock?
4: Yeah, I mean, behavior change, I think, is a holy grail of medicine, and, you know, it's great for people to embrace this as as early as possible. Uh, You know, learn the lesson, if you will, before you pay the price. And every person, you know, the hurdles are unique for each person, Um, so we'll frankly talk through them and see where they're stemming from. Some common areas are, at first, you know, they just may not be used to it, they're not sure where to get the food, and so we'll talk about that. Um, They may hit up against a variety variety of societal pressures. You know, there's a media image of a meat-eating, cigar-smoking studly guy, which is, of course, the exact opposite of what you need to do if you actually want to be studly. So there are a variety of kind of ingrained societal pushbacks that uh, you know may happen. You may bump into a well-meaning, uh, friend or family member who will say, "Oh my gosh, you're not going to get enough protein." Which, of course, is per- you know I'm sure very well-meaning, but un- unfortunately misguided from a health standpoint. You know, elephants and gorillas are largely plant-based, and they're pretty big. They're not eating animal protein, um, so. Uh, that's a common one, so we'll talk about that. And it, it's really diving into the specific issue that each person has, and I think the extensive education that we're able to give them kind of helps them uh, become grounded in the CAL scan set of information that helps them you know, counter these sorts of, of things that come up. Uh, and once people get used to it, they get their sea legs they can they can go for years. I have patients I have one patient who's been living this way for like eleven years. He came to me already completely fully on the wagon. He teaches me about it. It's great.
3: No, oh, that's fantastic. Well our time is up unfortunately and I just have to say your bedside manner or your phone side manner is so wonderful that I just feel that you have a healing presence no matter what. Give us really quickly the website for the Montefior program
4: www.montefiore.org forward slash cardiac wellness program.
3: Okay. So, everybody, don't you love this guy? He's good. Thank you so much, Dr. Ostfeld, and thanks, everybody, for listening. Happy Vegetarian Day. God bless you. Eat your veggies.
0: Only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world.
3: Inspiration only takes a moment. We invite you to consider these words from
1: Unity author Charles Roth. Live deeply in the present moment. If you are going to work on the premise that real energy is real
0: excitement that feeling of being fully and enthusiastically alive comes from a
3: source within you then it follows that you have to spend some time getting acquainted being at home in those far reaches of inner space peace is power for out of stillness strength is born and out of inner harmony productivity flourishes rest in that inner peace
2: This meditative moment is brought to you by Unity.
1: We spend a third of our lives sleeping and dreaming, yet most of us have no idea what goes on during that time.